0: Hello and welcome back to the UThought Sports Podcast. I am your host, Wyatt. And the reason why it's just me alone today is because we recorded a podcast on Tuesday, like we normally do, and something went wrong with my audio and I never got in. So Jared, who does a lot of work for us, doesn't get a chance to edit it. Therefore, no episode with everybody this week. Totally on me. I apologize. Lucas, Bart, Aiden, and Jared. If you guys are listening to this episode, it's my fault. Jared, you already know that. So, We're going to start with some news that we missed, um, something that I'm not going to be talking about today. But you know, we had it in our other episode. Um, NBA beef between Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Uh, Scottie Pippen was kind of given the short end of the stick through all out the last dance episodes. Uh, everyone kind of made him look like a fool. I put him as one of like the biggest losers of the entire documentary when it came out. And he basically was saying that he's not getting enough credit for the Jordan era. And I have a couple of thoughts on that real quick. For one, I don't think anybody who actually watches basketball or has a history of basketball denies that Scottie Pippen had a major role in the Michael Jordan era. He is by far the biggest celebrity. But I mean, if you ask me, the myth of Michael Jordan exists a little bit bigger than the actual player that Michael Jordan was cuz he's an icon the Jordan Branch shoe he you know pioneered all that he helped the glo- the game of basketball become a very big global you know operation he he's big but he as far as Scotty Pippen's concerned man you are worth 100 million dollars I know compared to 2 billion dollars it's less but nobody denies that Scotty Pippen had nothing, like, was not a major part of the Bulls dynasty. Because, I don't know, I maybe mean, Dennis Rodman wasn't exactly given the same short end of the stick, but, I mean, he just kind of, you just kind of move on a little bit, man. Like, you, your case was made, you're top 50 player in NBA history. You just, I, I would just say move on, my man. And another NBA beef news, uh, the Morris Twins against the Jokic brothers. Um, the Morris Twins are kind of known as, like, the hard old-school-era, beat-you-up type players. And the Jokic brothers emerged uh, on the scene just a year ago, or I think even just this year. They created a Twitter account just to specifically respond to the Morris brothers, having a little bit of beef back and forth. Uh, Jokic has since apologized. He was suspended for one game. Morris was not. He was fined. Um, But, you know, hopefully... I like rivalries. I like when people fight. I, I make the joke that I would fight Jose Altuve with my bare hands. I like not. I don't like watching people fist fight, but I like when there's some bad blood and there's some beef, and I and you know that kind of creates a little bit more stir. And the Heat are a really tough team, so I love when you know um, I don't know when they when they kind of have more edge to them. Carl Anthony Town said he was hacked. The ultimate hack job. Somebody logged into his Twitter account, according to him, liked one tweet about him leaving Minnesota, logged out, didn't tweet a single thing, didn't change any passwords, didn't, you know, expose him in any other certain way. He didn't, uh, you know, get violated on, on Twitter, which, you know, it just kind of, it's a funny hack job to say that, oh, somebody hacked me. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like the easy cop-out. I remember a couple years ago when Offset got caught cheating, he tweeted like, pee-pee poo-poo, and then was like, oh, my bad, guys, I got hacked. So I don't know. If somebody did hack him, you're a genius because now nobody believes Carl Anthony Towns. I certainly don't. The Manning NFL Monday Night Football curse is real. Every player who has been on the Manning football cast has lost the following week. And I believe Josh Allen was the last person to be on that Manning cast who just lost to the bill or to the, to the Jaguars. And, uh, in the first time in NFL history, a player with the same name sacked, I don't even know how to, how to say this two players of the same name, like, I guess, interact with each other. Josh Allen sacked Josh Allen. It's the first time that something like that has ever happened, which I don't know, it's not ex- extremely hard to believe. I think a lot of these players have very unique names, but. Um, I I liked it. Uh, We tweeted something out from our account. It was when Josh Allen sacks Josh Allen looking at Josh Allen. So I hope that more Josh Allen interactions happen in the league. But I'm recording this on Friday, which means I have the luxury of watching the Thursday Night Football Recap. Um, And on our Tuesday show, we did our power rankings. And you can go please check out our Instagram at youthoughtsports. We put together power rankings bi-weekly. And it's a great chance for us to to put some teams up on, on the map. We went 10 Chargers, 9 Browns, 8 Cowboys, 7 Bills, 6 Baltimore, and I'll get on that, 5 Rams, 4 Buccaneers, 3 Titans, 2 Packers, and 1 Cardinal. And I have one problem with this list. And I have a problem with my my fellow colleagues who put this list together because we do it in a draft style. I went first, and I picked the Arizona Cardinals I don't think that you can deny that the Arizona Cardinals, especially with the way that they won last week, are one of the best teams in the league. Immense amount of depth. James Conner looks incredible. Colt McCoy was, you know, as good as you could ask for a backup quarterback. And of course, you don't want Colt McCoy to start for the rest of the year, but if for one game, one or two games, you can if you can pull out wins like the way they did, you absolutely deserve to be sitting on top the NFL, you thought, sports power ranking throne. And a number two. I just feel like we went in the wrong direction. The Green Bay Packers lost. And I know that it's without Aaron Rodgers, so I'm not exactly going to penalize them entirely. And I have another problem with this list. The Dallas Cowboys do not belong on this list. But Baltimore falling down to six is a disservice to the amount of work that they've done so far this season. I think the Ravens are the second best team in the NFL right now. And I know that coming off of a loss to the Miami Dolphins, like, it happens. The Bills in our power rankings didn't get penalized for losing to the Jaguars. The Cowboys in our power rankings didn't get penalized for losing to the Broncos and getting shut out in three quarters. It's it just on a Thursday night, on a short week, against a team like the Dolphins, who are kind of funky, and they're kind of in the same business as the Jets right now, it, it happens. But when you look at the team that's lost the amount of key players that they have, uh, the the Ravens have, it's remarkable that they're even able to stay afloat. Devonte Freeman and Le'Veon Bell are getting in the bulk of their running back touches. And if you were to ask me or tell me that in 2015, I would be losing my mind. I would say that that's insane. But right now it's, if you look at it in today's NFL, it's desperate and you're pretty much just grasping at straws and Devontae Freeman looks really good. Le'Veon Bell has shown uh, whatever. But at the end of the day, like you, you got to give a lot of credits to the way the Mars playing because it's at an MVP type level. There isn't a player in this league who got drafted to a more perfect situation than Lamar Jackson. I can't imagine a guy who fits as well as their team does, as Lamar does. He has three comeback victories this year. He's shown a lot of heart. He's shown a lot of toughness. And he looks more improved as a passer. And they've given him more passing looks. The game plan uh, last night almost has to give up the run a little bit. I I think you take half of the the scripted Lamar Jackson runs turn them into pocket passing plays and use their big bodies and Bateman and Andrews for, you know, over the middle stuff. And, you know, guys with a wide catch radius, like, I mean, take a, take a page out of the Titans book right now. They lost Derrick Henry. They have dynamic wide receivers and I'll, I'll give them this, the Titans this. They have better wide receivers than the Baltimore Ravens do. And Tannehill is probably a better passer than Lamar Jackson is. But as far as big playability goes, Lamar Jackson is way up there and he has a bigger arm. You use the wide catch radius of the guys that you have. Mark Andrews is going to get a ton of targets. Marquise Brown, he's a burner. He's great for deep stuff, but he can't really catch. He's not a possession wide receiver. And Rashad Bateman is a possession wide receiver, huge catch radius, jump ball guy. Give him the ball. Feed them the ball. Give up on the run just a little bit. Because in games like this, when the Dolphins go cover zero the entire time, and then they blitz all the way through, you're forcing him to make quick timing throws, which is he's not exactly, your offense isn't exactly designed around that. Or scramble out of it, but you're blitzing, you know, you're loading the box, you're blitzing all seven, and you're going cover zero across the board. How is he supposed to wiggle out of that? When you go space and you drop linebackers in the zone coverage, he can he can run away just fine. But it doesn't make any sense for the for the Ravens. And that, I think it's a little short, and kind of to back up to my, my point. They're a tough team, and Lamar Jackson fits that in t- all the way. They're a tough defense. They're a tough offense. You kind of follow that identity. A team that runs a lot is going to have a smash mouth defense, although they haven't looked incredibly great this year. But sometimes you can get kind of lost in that when you're the Ravens. It's not, I mean, I, I like that Jim Hart or the Harbaugh. I actually forget which one Harbaugh and Lamar have like this deep relationship with each other. And although I'm a little sick of seeing it at, on the sidelines, they win and they hug and they have these intimate moments. And, and Harbaugh is like, I love you, man. But, Like they have a deep love, they fit the culture very well. They they're really on top of it, and I think they get lost in it too much. And I'm not gonna discredit the the Ravens for the way that they played. I still think they're the second best team in the NFL right now. And you know, just a couple tweaks here and there, they can win. But Thursday night football games are funky. I don't I don't buy into them at all. Colts put up 45, and the Jets are beating the Bengals. You know, later on, so who knows. On the other side of the ball, it's hard to look at Tua and be in awe because Justin Herbert was picked right right after him. But whenever I watch Tua play, I think he's a solid quarterback. And this was really weird for me watching the game because Jacoby Brissett plays. All the graphics that we use on our, on our Instagram feature Jacoby Brissett because apparently Tua was too injured to start, but not injured enough to come in and be a backup for three more quarters and finish the rest of the game. Make that make sense. And for three quarters of the rest of the game, he looked really well. He only threw 13 times. He had 158 yards and doesn't exactly pop off the stat sheet. But if you watch the game, he looks confident in the pocket. He made a handful of big plays. And they weren't like the stupid trick plays that desperate teams use all the time. They were actually good downfield passing plays, um, some quick timing stuff. And that's exactly what Tua's game is. He's a great downfield passer. And any other moment, you just use quick timing passing stuff like the Saints did with Drew Brees. But the Dolphins O-line and the Dolphins run game have to get significantly better. And I know that they're young. The O-line is incredibly young and they can, they can grow on that. But I don't think offensively all the blame has to fall on Tua's shoulders. And I'm not just saying that because they won. I'm saying that because I believe in them. I picked them to be my Dark, dark Horse MVP pick this year. Um, I'm just not ready to throw this all away. How could you look at Tua, watch the way that he plays, see a guy who's confident, see a guy who's poised, he's mature, he makes good throws, he's an accurate passer, and I know that he's not exactly explosive. I know that he's not very physical. I know he's not 6'4 with a cannon arm and, and all this and all that, but I'm j- just don't throw this away right away because this team has a lot of growth to do in areas far outside of the quarterback. Odell Beckham. Uh, I think it was, I want to say on Thursday, he signed his, the sweepstake was over. A lot of teams were in the mix Uh, right after he got cut. It was like, there was a possibility of eight teams that could have reached out to him. The Saints, Chiefs, Packers, Seahawks were at the top of that list. And the Saints and Seahawks didn't make any sense to me. The quarterback position is uh, too iffy. Right now for the Saints, why would he even want to go there? And I know Alvin Kamara is there. Michael Thomas kind of theoretically would be there. But it doesn't make any sense. The Seahawks, how good is Russell Wilson going to be? DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both still on the outside. So how many more passing touchdowns or downs can he actually get? And the Chiefs and the Packers, to me, make way more sense from a passing volume stance. Devontae Adams is basically the only pass catcher in Green Bay. So he would have got a ton of targets there. And Andy Reid loves to throw the ball. So, you know, Tyreek Hill is getting 10, 12 targets a game. Travis Kelsey is still getting like eight targets a game. You tell me Odell Beckham couldn't get six, or they split it up. Because Miko Hardman is not exactly their wide receiver too. He he at least hasn't shown. I mean, they 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 throw some guys out there, but Odell Beckham would have absolutely been wide receiver too, of course, not counting. Travis Kelsey, but he lands in LA and he lands with the Rams and he's that type of New York, LA type celebrity. Does LA get a lot of breaks because they live in, because they're in LA like the Lakers were. They're sunny. Uh, it's Hollywood, big celebrities. A lot of people live down there. LeBron's down there. They're friends. He has a lot of other celebrity friends that live down there. You know, uh, beautiful homes. He has a home. Everybody spends their vacation there, whatever it might be. LA gets a lot of those breaks. But I'm going to give the Rams a lot of credit because they've shown a huge tendency to be extremely aggressive. And this is way before, just right now, just this year. A couple of years ago, they fired Wade Phillips. And then they hire Brandon Staley, who's now the head coach of the, of the Chargers. They have a great defense. A couple of years before that, they cut Todd Gurley after a Super Bowl appearance and an extension. Just this last year, they traded Jared Goff and acquired Matt Stafford after a Super Bowl appearance and an extension. They trade for and extend Jalen Ramsey. They acquired von Miller just last week who hasn't even played a game yet uh, with them yet and they acquire obj and it all makes sense for to acquire obj you have a guy who culturally historically is not a winner he you know is a guy who's listed as a diva he's a guy who's listed as an attitude guy and I think he was the perfect soldier in but in uh, Cleveland, did he kind of leave a little messy, or he was upset and his dad posted that video? Yeah, but he was the perfect soldier there. He did not have any sideline side bursts. He did not himself go to the media and say like, "This is BS, they're not getting me the ball, whatever." Blah blah blah. The same way some some other wide receivers do. You know, d- you know, it's tweets where he's you no know, Car Anthony Towns where he's liking tweets and doing things like that. It's not exactly that that situation. But. Jared on our Tuesday show, which of course is not coming out. Again, my fault. I apologize. He doesn't think that Odell is going to be that guy anymore. He says, I don't think he can still be that guy anymore. You're going to tell me that he's better than any of these other guys, meaning the guys that were available via trade, guys that he can sign, things like that. Um, You know, guys that are in the league. And I disagree with that heavily. When I look at the Browns offense, the biggest downfall with the Browns offense during the Odell era was Baker Mayfield. That 11 minute video his dad posted is incredibly incriminating. First of all, how do you find 11 minutes worth of stuff to post? 11 minutes worth of bad football plays from Baker Mayfield. 11 minutes worth of overthrown and misreads. And neither of these two players were really interested in making this connection work. It just wasn't a fit. And we were all really excited and up and armed for Cleveland and, Almost the same way that we're looking, looking, looking at the Rams right now. It's like, oh my God, how do they acquire this person? Or oh my God, how do they acquire Von Miller? And the 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 Browns were the same way. how do they get Baker? And how do they get uh, you know how do they get Odell and Jarvis Landry? And they have Miles Garrett who's breaking out and Denzel Ward. And they sign this person. They sign that person. They have all these guards and blah blah blah. It it just. It just doesn't work with philosophically the way that the Browns run. I'm going to use an analogy that I used. Uh, it's called the extra credit analogy. And I apologize. People are doing leaf blowers outside my apartment right now. The extra credit analogy. In class, you have regular assignments and tests that you to make up like a base of your grade. Let's say like 80% of your grade. You take tests every day. You do assignments. You turn in homework. And you get most of your grade and most of your grade is judged on that. And you can finish the class with an A or a B with a grade like that. And sometimes though, you do need to go above and beyond and you need to get yourself some extra credit and you need to do a couple of assignments here and stay later there or take a vol- or volunteer here and there with whatever it might be just so that you can get your grade up more. But Baker Mayfield was only interested in the tests and the assignments he likes passes to the tight ends and slots re- slot receivers over the middle. And not exactly anything that Odell has to offer because Odell is extra credit. The Browns don't really utilize multiple receiving sets. Most of the time, they just kind of bust out two tight ends. And the reason why they signed Austin Hooper is so that way they could use multiple tight ends. And uh, David Njoku is the leading receiving leader and uh in Cleveland right now. Nick Chubb is that offense. He's the best rusher in the NFL behind Derrick Henry. So Mayfield essentially is just Ryan Tannehill light, you know, for for his team. So it, it just wasn't working for Odell. But can Odell turn it around in L.A.? Yeah, ish. He can. They have plenty of culture guys there and winners on the team. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Matt Stafford, who I know is not a winner, but he's a tough guy. He's a good culture guy. He's a, you know, I guess family man is what you can call him. And historically, Odell is not a winner. And his brand has exceeded his level of play. But with, you know, the amount of guys that I listed, they can take a chance in the way that the rest of this season goes with the way that the locker room is built. And guess what? They don't need him. They have no obligation to get him going. They have no obligation to give him eight targets a game. They have no obligation to keep him on the team for the rest of the season. But I think they will because he's extra credit and they like extra credit. Sean McVay is the single best offensive mind in football right now. He can scheme guys open whenever, however, and pretty much whoever he would like to. We saw that one time where uh, he said, we got to get Robert Woods some more touches. And thank you, Sean McVay. You helped out my fantasy team. Robert Woods had like 12 catches for 150 yards. You're telling me that Odell can't do the same thing? Odell is one of the best, or was one of the best, yard after catch receivers in the league, especially during his peak. You just feed him a quick slant the same way that you might want to feed a A.J. Brown. You give him the ball in open space, and you just tell him to go. Find, find ways. McVay will put him in drags, digs, and slants You know to feed Odell early. Give him some space. Ask him to produce there couple big downfield plays. He's still an incredible route runner. He's still, you know, showed a lot of twitchiness. He's shown a lot of explosion. The New York Odell may not be there anymore. And some injury concerns have been in the way, but there's no reason for me to believe yet that Odell isn't, and still couldn't be a great wide receiver on a team. And, you know, right now he'd be their third best or second best wide receiver, depending on the day. I mean, I would take that bet. And the last thing I'm going to say about the Odell thing is uh, Devontae Adams said his hopes are extremely high for the Packers signing Odell. And he went on the podium and he said, Odell, come here. And a lot of teams did the same thing where they were kind of pushing for Odell to come. And the NFL's, I know he's a free agent, the NFL's non-tampering rules compared to the NBA where they're allowed to just openly speak about other players and other teams and they should come here. And and when they have trade disputes and all that, they should come here. It's just far more exciting to watch the NFL navigate that and kind of let it go when they can tweet at each other. It creates better sound bites. It creates a lot more buzz. Uh, Like I said, Odell's a celebrity has exceeded his level of play. But we're talking about it because they're allowed to kind of create some buzz around it. It's good for the league, and I applaud the NFL on that. Uh, A major story over the last week or so was Aaron Rodgers. And this one originally, when it came out, it made me very mad. It, It was very frustrating to listen to him because Aaron Rodgers does this thing where he plays a cat and mouse game with the media. They ask him a question. He kind of beats around the bush, spews a lot of BS. And then he says, you guys just don't understand. He will say things, he'll give zero context, the the media will quote it, and he'll say, You guys just don't understand the context. And he was asked at the beginning of the year if he was vaccinated. And there was a perfect platform for him to lay out everything in front of us and just tell us. And I, like a majority of players, are not upset that Aaron Rodgers was not vaccinated. He's not the only player in the league who's not vaccinated. I'm upset that he lied about it. I'm upset that he used terminology and he beat around the bush enough to make us believe that he was a vaccinated player and that was his, you know, his mindset and that's where he was at. And for most people, they say he's a person and I get it. He's a person. He's allowed to do whatever he wants to. Aaron Rodgers is not void of choices, but he is one of the best football players we have ever seen, you know, in the history of the NFL, one of the best, maybe three or two talented quarterbacks we have ever seen. And we know that there's going to be eyes on him, especially given the circus that was the Packers off season. Uh, Kurt Cole Beasley was on the anti-vax front lines hand in hand with Kirk Cousins. And, you know, we've seen Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen who are also now vaccinated. And those stories lasted probably about a two days tops. Nobody talks about Cole Beasley anymore. And he, even if he caught COVID today, I think we would be like, yeah, we knew he was unvaccinated. We know he's going to be out for 10 days and we're going to move on. There's no story there. If Kirk Cousins and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen got it, it would be the same thing. A lot of these players, you know, they just don't want to do it. And I understand you don't know the long-term effects. What, whatever it might be, whether I agree you should get vaccinated or not, it's not my business. You You, however have choices to make and he was still left with choices and he choose to do none of the above and In his initial statement he said I'm immunized he said those guys who are unvaccinated um, they're you know he separated himself from that group and he's basically he basically doubled and tripled down he didn't wear a mask during press conferences or if he didn't want to do that do press conferences via zoom he didn't wear a mask on the sidelines he just chose. To be arrogant, to lie and put himself above everybody else because he's Aaron Rodgers. Why why even make that up? What are you so afraid to get criticized for? Like the like I said, the original wave lasted a day or two for some of these guys and away and went away. And this story has lasted well over a week now because you just you made it up. If you believe so heavily that what you did was the best thing to do, just say it. That's fine. Believe in what you want to believe in, but just why, why pretend like it's not what you're doing? That's fine. If you, if horse tranquilizers was the best way to do it, tell people because maybe somebody else would do it too. Maybe somebody else would find it. Maybe it was the Kieran and Rogers and you're just smarter than the doctors, whatever it might be. Dude, just, I mean, come on. It just looks so bad. And I'm not saying that this was the reason why Odell didn't go there, but they don't land free agents very often. And Jared said in our original podcast on Tuesday, maybe there was something during the meetings that made him drop from number one to twenty three or twenty four wherever he went. Maybe there was something with these teams that were like a little put off by his level of "I'm the smartest guy in the room" type vibe that you get from him. And like I said, it's not maybe it's not Odell. Maybe Odell didn't talk to Aaron Rodgers and or didn't pick Green Bay because of it. But I wouldn't be surprised that there are players who have shied away because of that. And the Packers are in a bind right now because they played Jordan Love. And if you watch the film, he did not do well at all. And he's not exactly a rookie. I know this was his first career start, but he's been in Green Bay for a year and a half. He sat behind Aaron Rodgers, who I said was one of the best two or three most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. Matt LaFleur is probably one of the 10 best offensive coaches in the league and he is still way off from being a starting quarterback. The Packers have no choice pretty much but to extend Aaron Rodgers this offseason. I know they restructured his deal, give him 100 million dollars, whatever it might whatever it takes for even for 2 or 3 more years. J- Jordan Love has the luxury of being a first round pick. You can pick up his fifth year, you can play with it a little bit. You can give yourself some more time. But he is a big project, a bigger project than Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen were and Trey Lance was coming into these into these years. He is way off from being a guy who can actually start. He shows flashes. He has the physical un- intangibles. He's a big guy, a big arm. He can run a little bit. You get it. You bet on those players to win and to eventually break through. But it's not going to be tomorrow. And it certainly wasn't last week, I'll tell you that much. And speaking of a guy who's probably not, he doesn't have it anymore, there's a lot of buzz around Cam Newton. And he just signed on, I believe on Thursday or Wednesday, he signed again with the Panthers. He's the biggest name out of all of the unsigned and replacement level quarterbacks. Anytime a quarterback goes down, you should sign Cam Newton. Or some pundit, Stephen A. Smith, goes on a show and says, "Where? why doesn't Cam Newton have a job yet? How come Cam Newton isn't in New Orleans? How come Cam Newton isn't in Seattle? How come he's not backing up Lamar Jackson? How come he's not here? How come he's not there? He sucks. And I'm going to use the S word. He sucks. He is not very good anymore. And he's a replacement-level quarterback for a reason. Bill Belichick had him on his team. We saw them for a full year with Cam Newton and they did not look very good. Physically, I just don't think he has it anymore. Physically, he he can't, he doesn't have the same big play explosion. His arm is, he wasn't an accurate passer already, but his arm has deteriorated far from that, making him incredibly inaccurate. And, you know, there is, I got to say that a level of circus around him that also makes him harder to deal with. I know that like, he was the biggest name and you pair it with him returning to a place that he got drafted and it's the perfect media storm. Everybody loves it. Can he return to his QB MVP level? No. Is he better than Sam Darnold? Probably. And I'm going to give Aiden his credit when he he said this because it was one of our first posts on our Instagram. He said... That the Panthers will regret not drafting a rookie QB this year. And they had they were at eight. They had an opportunity to draft Justin Fields or Mac Jones, and they chose JC Horn, who was hurt, and I know is gonna become an incredible player. Patrick Detain is also an incredible player, went after him. There are a lot of good defensive players. They have a great defense in Carolina. It's their identity right now. But they are hurting because they don't have a QB. And it's interesting to look at their QB moves. They cut Cam Newton, they trade for Sam Darnold, they get Teddy or they get Teddy Bridgewater, they trade for Sam Darnold, and then they re-sign Cam Newton for $10 million. And I believe I saw the number was they spent $56 million in guaranteed money in Cam Newton replacements. They have to pick up Sam Darnold's fifth year option in the offseason. They traded, I think, a two, a four, and a six for Sam Darnold, only to have Cam Newton come right back into their arms. It just doesn't make any sense. And, and it's clear. We all know it. The NFL is a QB league, and they desperately need to find a QB. Cam Newton, is he going to return to MVP level? No. Uh, can he get Joe Brady a head coaching job? Maybe. Uh, is he probably just as good as Taysom Hill? Yeah, I'd put him in that category. He's an athletic athlete type QB. You use him when design run plays, you give the ball to, to Christian McCaffrey and you have DJ Moore, who's a talented wide receiver and you let it go from there. But you know, at the end of the day, he's probably, this will be his last stop in the NFL. Kevin Noon will retire a Panthers where he started and he'll move on to be a cultural icon. He's good in podcasts. He's good in the media. He's fun to talk talk about, talk to, I guess you could say, if you're a media guy. But as far as a quarterback goes, this is it for me. This is probably it for him. This is far, As far as I would take it. I mentioned Justin Fields. I'm going to mention his superiors, I guess you could call it. And we're going to talk about some NFL hot seats here for the, the end of this show. And I specifically want to talk about two teams that I am very passionate about at the moment. Because Justin Fields was my QB1 coming out of this year's draft. He's obviously an Ohio State guy. If you listen to our shows, I'm a big Ohio State fan. So I have, a, I have a special place in my heart for Justin Fields, who I think is an incredible quarterback. He looked incredible against the Steelers on Monday. And it wasn't exactly a perfect game. The Steelers are not fun to watch. The Bears are not fun to watch. But he's shown a lot of improvement here in these last couple of, of weeks here in the NFL, and coming from where he started at, you know, he's he's grown a lot. He's a big time. But I'm actually really surprised that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace still have a job. I understand that hypothetically they've extended their window when they drafted Justin Fields, but this team is a sinking ship. They are going under. And despite the comfortableness of, of Justin Fields, you can, I don't think that what he's been doing so far or what he did last week is sustainable. QBs that are great at running but rely more on scramble plays for big yardage, it's not a recipe for success. I know that, like, let's say the Ravens, they use Lamar Jackson as a runner. Uh, Camden in New England, just to kind of tie it all together. They use him as a design runner. Justin Fields can run. Justin Fields can extend a pocket. But think about Russell Wilson. And think about Kyler Murray and even Patrick Mahomes, who I don't consider a runner necessarily. But they can extend plays. They can scramble out of the pocket. They can make big plays happen here and there on with their legs. But most of the time it's predicated on the fact that they can pass the ball very well. And they have a really good passing offense with really good wide receivers and a good offensive scheme. The Bears do not have that at all. How many times can Matt Nagy just boot the QB out to, quote, extend the pocket to, quote, create more time and compensate for the terrible Ryan Pace job that is the offensive line? Because eventually, you know, you just dot, you just get a guy to play contain on the outside and you can't boot the pocket anymore. They just, they can't get a sustainable level of success in Chicago with the way that Matt Nagy runs the team and Ryan Pace puts it together. We should start the hashtag for your Allen Robinson. They franchise tag him this offseason. They fail to agree on a big extension. And as of right now, he's currently having one of the worst years of his entire NFL career. Most of their targeting targets in the passing game go to Cole Komet. And Jimmy Graham. And I actually, before Monday, didn't even realize Jimmy Graham was still in the league. Allen Robinson is barely on the field. He was barely on the field for the final four minutes of the Steelers game. And anytime he is on the field, he's basically just a run-blocking wide receiver who you pay like $17 million to with a franchise tag. Do they have any idea what they're doing? Because I don't think so. If you don't want to feature him in your offense, that's fine. But you should have just traded him at the deadline. The Packers would have taken him. I know he's in in your division. The Chiefs probably would have taken him. There are plenty of teams who would have acquired Allen Robinson and would have loved to do it, who would have loved to add him to the team, Baltimore. Other teams, um, the Browns probably would have done it. The Seahawks might have done it. Whatever. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. There are plenty of teams out there that would be willing to add. The Raiders would be willing to add a player like Allen Robinson onto their team. Do something that fits more of your vision. Because it's unclear to me. Are they going to franchise tag him again? Because that price is only going to go up. Every year they add him to the franchise tag, he goes from 17, he'll probably go to 23, and they'll move on. And eventually you're going to be paying him like quarterback money no matter how many many times you franchise tag. And that price is going to be too high to even trade him. You're just going to have a highly paid wide receiver that you don't plan on using or maybe the highest paid run blocker in the league. Let him walk. Or tag and trade him this year and just let Darnell Mooney feature the offense. But the Bears are embarrassing. And every Bears fan that I know agrees. And Matt Nagy, I'm not going to call for anybody to get fired. But I won't be surprised if he lasts another two more weeks. Or if he doesn't last another two more weeks. It's insane. This one breaks my heart. Because it's a team I hold near and dear to my heart. It's my favorite team. It's the New York football Giants. And I didn't want to deny it when Jared said it, but it's probably about time to put Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman on the hot seat. Dave Gettleman especially, and we'll get to him later, but Joe Judge, I'm a fan of Joe Judge. But when you're not an offensive or defensive play caller, you have to do two things, not just good, not just one of the two, two things extremely well. Hire a fantastic coaching staff, similar to the one that they have in Baltimore and create a strong and identifiable culture for your team to rally and fall back on. And I don't really believe that Joe Judge has done either of of those two. Jason Garrett, you would say, oh, he's a former NFL head coach. He was a play caller in Dallas, but he just doesn't seem to scheme up enough to make a real difference, and especially to compensate for some of the guys that we have. And for as far as the guys that we have, Dave Gettleman, I'm going to use the S word, you suck. If your enti- our entire identity is drafting hog mollies, as he calls them, or building a solid offensive or defensive line, do it. But you can't because it's, it's, a, it's a farce. The year we drafted Daniel Jones, D.N. Josh Allen, who we talked about at the very beginning of the show, was sitting right there before us. We could have done the Josh Allen on Josh Allen thing. And he's been a stud Josh Allen, Jacksonville Josh Allen, has been a stud ever since entering the league. That same year, we drafted Daniel Jones. We added Dexter Lawrence with the 17th overall pick, who no shade to Dexter Lawrence. I like him. He's good. But how often do good D tackles make a huge difference on a team's defense? Especially a team that has no, like at the time, no significant offensive lineman, no real quarterback who we just added. No big defensive other threats. Like we were kind of just floating and we decided to add a D-tackle at the time. It's not exactly Dave Gettleman's fault. In fact, I don't know, maybe a credit to him. We beat the Washington football team a couple years ago. We gave them the second overall pick and they walk off into the sunset with Chase Young. This year, we're probably going to miss on Kayvon Thibodeau uh, and as a weak QB class so we we're gonna sneak out too many wins, we're gonna to fall to like five or six, and it's just gonna be bad. And we're not gonna and we're gonna be sitting in the same cycle what all, all over again. He just drafts, he overdrafts the guys that he likes. He doesn't trade back with the exception of this year, and this is the only year I can say that I like the draft class because Kadarius Tony is the only guy I can hang my hat on. He's the only shining star that I can be like, that was a decent pick. And it's only because we dropped to like 20 or something like that, or we dropped back, and we were forced to pick somebody else. Because I'm not convinced that he wouldn't just randomly draft or overdraft some other player at the time anyway. The year, a couple of years, last year, we drafted Andrew Thomas. The one year we draft an offensive lineman, he is the worst first-round offensive lineman or tackle in that class. Jedrick Wills goes on and he has a great season with the Cleveland Browns. And Tristan Worfs has a fantastic season with the Buccaneers. And a little fun fact about Tristan Wirfs, just he is like vaguely related in the same family tree to my girlfriend. So I just maybe I I like Tristan Worfs a little bit more because of that bias. But regardless. We watch those guys go and do great. They're arguably two, the two more athletic guards or tackles in that class. They do great. Uh, you know, they Tristan Morris obviously wins the Super Bowl. Jedrick Wills is on a Super Bowl contending team. And we're just kind of floating. We also, we butchered the Nate Solder signing two years ago. We trade for Kevin Zeitler in the OBJ trade and we just, or he might have been in the Olivia Vernon trade. But we trade for Kevin Zeitler. We don't re-sign him. He's on Baltimore, Super Bowl contending team. And I just believe that we don't know or he doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to adding to players because eventually we're going to have to add somebody. Get a guard. How hard is it to find a guard? Rashawn Slater this year looks incredible and everyone is saying he's a guard, but he's a tackle. He's one of the best tackles you know, in, in his division. How hard is it to find a guy? They're all sitting right in front of us. We have not been drafting 25, 28, you know, 32. We're drafting four or five or six. You can't find a guy at four, five, or six. I mean, over and over and over again, we just draft guys too high and we miss on those guys. And a guy I really like, but I'm going to hate to say it, is Saquon. We're going to have to trade Saquon. I really like Saquon the player, and I was super excited that we got him when he was coming out of college. We got drafted him at number two, and I thought that we might have completed, we might have been competing for a playoff run at the time. We had Odell, we had Eli. I thought that we were doing pretty well. We had made the playoffs, but I think two years before that, in 2016, but drafting a running back at number two, obviously in hindsight, was incredibly the wrong move. No other team, even Christian McCaffrey, I believe, was drafted that high. One of the best guards in the league right now, Quentin Nelson, was drafted four picks after us. And not to mention some of the other guys that were drafted after us. Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, Jair Alexander, Lamar Jackson, Nick Chubb, Darius Leonard, other quarterbacks, Josh Allen, in that same class. We weren't exactly looking for a quarterback at the time, but... You know, you get like they're some of the best players at their position were drafted in this class and we sold. We went to a running back like Saquon can't stay on the field in a nutshell. Theoretically, and the draft board can, of course, change. Theoretically, we could have landed Quentin Nelson at two and then Nick Chubb at the start of the second round. You're telling me that wouldn't have been a better off, you know, play than what we did, because instead we went for the weaker version. We went to Saquon. And in the second round, we went Will Hernandez, who I'm not even sure is getting any reps right now at guard. I mean, hog Molly's my ass, dude. The best guard in the NFL slips between your fingers, and you want to say that you can build an offensive line? But yes, get real. At the end of the day, this isn't working. Saquon can't stay on the field. Every 30 plays, he gets hurt. We don't have a QB in our offensive line to keep him upright and produce. Every one of our replacement running backs does a better job than he does right now. Anytime you ask them to run between the tackles, it's totally fine. And you get a, and you can say that we're catching other teams off guard, or that they don't respect the run game without Saquon. But somehow, some way, these running backs do exactly what we want Saquon to do. And he can't pass block either. Let's just kind of keep going on the list. Ezekiel Elliott runs or ran the same offense, was able to produce, and Saquon just can't. He can't run between the tackles, like I said, and our offense isn't dynamic dynamic enough to give him the space to work. He's talented. He's a great pass catcher. He could juke you out in a phone booth. But when you draft him a number two overall, you're asking for Hall of Fame territory, and that demands big money in the next two years. And I'm not sure we can tie ourselves to that it might be time to trade Saquon Barkley. Like I said, Kadarius Tony is all we got. <laughs> Next year, fire the coach, fire the front office, bring in a uh, Kansas City Chiefs guy, uh, Cleveland Browns guy from the front office, bring in a uh, Colts guy from the front office. They're high level front offices right now. Add Brian Dable. Add Greg Roman, Eric Bieniemy, or one of the two Tampa coordinators. And as far as the draft goes, we have two options, and I'm only giving us two, and I will not be happy with any of them. Draft Sam Howell, or draft Kayvon Thibodeau, depending on where we land in the draft, and he might be one, so it might be hard. But and I know I like I picked a guy specifically Sam Howell because of the same reason I talked about with Jordan Love, and he's probably better than Jordan Love was. He has all the physical intangibles. He has big play potential. He seems tough. And Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jordan Love right now, all come, a very sim- come from a very similar college background. And it makes me a believer. Big guys, big arms, all the physical intangibles, not exactly winners in college, not exactly stars in college, but you can always credit it to maybe their offenses are very good or they don't have the weapons, whatever it might be those guys can actually make a difference. And then we're going to have to find a move, create a, get a guard linebacker, a D end, add somebody, get a big free agent, trade some twos and threes. I mean, every time I see a star like Julio Jones or Odell, you know, just get cut. Um, you know, you see guys get traded for pennies on the dollar twos and threes and fours and sixes. And you know, all those run picks We never have a dog in those fights. And over time, eventually, we have a chance to acquire some of these guys. We're just not monitoring them, or we're just not interested in them. So it sucks. Thank you guys for listening. That's going to end the show. I really appreciate it. I apologize again to my counterparts who put in a lot of work on Tuesday to record the podcast. Uh, We'll do better. Be prepared to listen to all of us after this weekend. Thank you.